0: bibles this morning to the 15th chapter of luke's gospel and a study i've entitled a bunch of lost things now i will tell you that contained in here is probably one of the favorite of all the parables the parable of the prodigal son but it is also important that we remember that as jesus spoke these things he, he was not speaking in abstract He didn't just simply speak these things one at a time. He spoke them exactly as we read them all together. And so there is a a wonderful place for these three stories, uh, stories familiar to many of us, to be taken together. And I want to first remind you that there is a purpose for which Jesus spoke to the people in parables. And in fact, the word tells us that their hearts were dull and they were hard of hearing. And so because they could not and would not understand, he spoke to them in stories that they could understand. Parables get people thinking. They they get them out of their little box, out of the religious speak that can happen very often. Uh, One of the reasons that I'm delighted to have a heritage uh, in Calvary Chapel, and specifically being brought up underneath Pastor Chuck himself, is that we learn to teach God's Word Uh, not just in its context and its proper interpretation, but with great observation and application to our day and time. And so very often, as I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking somewhat parabolically. I'll take those truths and try and apply them to today, the world that we live in. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing when he spoke these things originally. And we're going to see this morning as he speaks these three different groups of people uh, that he is going to speak to in these parables and their responses. And they're very varied. And it, isn't it interesting how we can hear the Word of God? And when I talk to people after service, one person will get one thing out of it and somebody else gets something else out of it and everything in between. And that's because it really isn't me, it's the Holy Spirit trying to communicate to you the truth of what God has already said. I'm simply trying to bring it to you in a way that you can begin to lay hold of the principle and then put it into practice. That's the idea, amen? We want to learn the principle, put it into practice. It doesn't do us a bit of good to learn a principle and then not put it into practice. And so these three stories that Jesus is now going to tell or perhaps... Maybe the three favorites of most people. We have certainly a lost sheep, and then we have a lost coin, and then we have a lost person. And we all once were lost. Amen? And as you look at lostness, people don't start out to get lost. And I would begin this morning by sharing with you one of my own little stories. I, I, for a number of years, was on the San Diego mountain rescue team. And I can tell you that not once did we ever go on a rescue where the person of their own volition said, yeah, I left the campground intending to go get lost. (laughs) Did never happen. We never found some person that said, man, I almost got away from you. People who are lost do not set out to get lost. They get lost for a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways. And so these three stories taken together give us a picture of mankind's lostness and why it is that it's so important that the Good Shepherd comes looking. You're going to also see and play in these marvelous stories All three persons of the Trinity, very much in view in the first one, is Jesus the Son. Very much in view in the second one, is God the Holy Spirit. And very much in view in the last one, is God the Eternal Father. All three persons of the Trinity with the same mission, the same goal, to seek and save that which is lost. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, thank you that you came looking for us, Lord. While we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Lord, before I was ever born, before any of us in this room ever took our first breath, you were crying out, Lord, to save us. And we pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened and built up in our faith this morning. Lord, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. First we have the people in parables, and then all the tax collectors and the sinners. <gasps> sinners, tax collectors, translated publicans, very often. But these were public people. You, you could put in their IRS agents, and you'd go. Ugh. You might even say, I don't even know if they can be saved. Tax collectors, publicans, public officials, politicians, professional politicians existed in that day. Government workers that uh, had little or no purpose of benefit to the common man existed at that day. And then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Don't you love that? Look at it for a second. It is the exact opposite group. You would think, and all the scribes and Pharisees, because they knew what God had already said. You would think it would be, and all the disciples, because they spent time with Jesus, would be in that first sentence. But notice who it is. It's the very people that we would look at and go, I don't even know if they can be saved. Tax collectors. Sinners drew near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes, the religious people, he's not doing it right. I don't, I don't mind the way he's in that. He's being a st- stinky. You can almost hear him complaining and whining. That's not how we do it in synagogue. I mean, after all, I mean... We've been around for a long time doing church the same way, day in and day out. I mean, look at us. Look at our robes. Look at our pra- I mean, do you guys have a temple? You don't have a temple. We got a temple. Religion can be a tremendous deterrent to relationship. The Pharisees, the scribes, complained, saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with eats with them." Duh. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. So I'm pretty glad he was coming after the guys that needed him. Very often, sometimes we think the church has a has a corner on the market. A church, church needs to get out more. Church needs to hang out with publicans and sinners more. Can I say that to you? And I'm not telling you to go dip yourselves in the world's sin. I'm telling you, go be with sinners and publicans. They need you as friends. They need to hear God's goodness by witnessing your life in that difficult situation. They need to see you as someone worth emulating, and they're not going to do that if all you ever do is hang around with other believers. Can I say that to you? I hope I can, because you need to hear it. Because the church is guilty of being nothing more than a religious social club at times. It's like we're almost so afraid that we'll get dirty that we don't go out where the dirty people are, and they're the ones that need Jesus. We need to drop the legalism. If your God can't save you from being with somebody who doesn't know know Jesus, then we've got a pretty weak God. Amen? We need to go seek and save that which is lost. It's what Jesus came to do. The result of this preaching was very, very significant. The general public, totally wishy-washy. But the people on the fringe of society, they fell in love with Jesus. Amen? They're like, this is news to us. You mean God loves us? You see, legalists don't bring that message. Legalists bring the message that God only loves certain types of people. Holy people. Religious people. Church people. People who have really big Bibles. People who read only King James. People who go to church more than once a week. And of course, I'm exaggerating for the sake of you understanding how important it is that we be like Jesus. Yes, absolutely and unequivocally, we have been called out of the world and we are to be holy. But that doesn't mean that we don't remain in the world to be salt and light and a witness. We need to be where people who need Jesus are. Very often that's our workplace. Sometimes it's in our recre- recreational time. It, it bugs me to no end when I see the church being something God never asked us to be. He did not ask us to go isolate ourselves in some little cult or commune so that we can be insulated from everything in the world so we won't get dirty. Jesus got dirty with the people. He hung around with people who needed him, not just people who were already saved and already growing. The Pharisees, the scribes, they drew back. They were self-righteous. They had on their long flowing robes and they're like, oh man, he's hanging around with the wrong crowd. Shame on us. Shame on us. When we develop a sense of self-righteousness that says, I can't be around that person. They drink beer. I'm not going over to that person's house because I heard once they watched an R-rated movie. Now, again, are we supposed to be different? You better believe we are. But we need to go where people who need Jesus hang out. I'm not telling you to go sit down in a bar and toss back a few brews either. So lose that thought right out of your heads. But you know what? Those unsaved folks that come to your house, they need to know that Jesus loves them. That you're not there with the little magnifying glass with your sinometer in the other hand going, whoa! Ho, ho. Can't believe you did that! Look what it says right here. You got a nine, it only goes to ten. And so Jesus, in light of that, begins to speak these stories to these people. And they're beautiful. Verse 3, he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Do you see the picture there? It's so beautiful. Because it's so jesus He's saying, look, there's a hundred Christians. And there was one guy in there that wasn't actually saved, and he wandered away. And Jesus said, I'm going after the one guy. The rest of you guys, you can all hang out together, but I'm going after the one guy. And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And this is a beautiful picture. I don't know if any of you ever smelled a sheep. It ain't pleasant. I can tell you that they rate up there as one of the stinkiest animals on earth. And yet Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, is saying, look, the good shepherd goes after the one and picks up the stinky lost sheep and puts it on his shoulders. Rejoicing when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise... There will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than the 99 just persons who need no repentance. You see how much God loves the lost? Sometimes we're guilty of shunning the lost. Sometimes I'm guilty of shunning the lost. I'll take it off of you. I'll take it on myself. I see that person that's walking. and We've got a ton of folks who need Jesus in our town, don't we? You see them. How many of you have driven by in your car with a judgmental heart, with your nose spiritually turned up in the air and go, just like the Pharisees? Thank you, God, I'm not like them. How many of you looked at that padded single mom with a bunch of kids that, and you just go, I can't believe it would be like that. We're honest. We're kind of prone to do that. Judge where they're at. And Jesus is saying, have you ever thought to stop and tell them about me? Have you ever gone after the one? The one that's not like you? Notice there's a clear difference between the one and the ninety and nine. You've got just, righteous people. It says, your Bible says they don't need to repent. They're good with God. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, turns his attention towards the one lost sheep. The one lost sheep. And he picks up that stinky lost sheep and puts it on his shoulders. Now, I want you to see something here. There's really three groups of people that are in view in this particular part of this story. you got the publicans and sinners. This was hope for them, amen? Because they were lost, and they needed to know that hope. They needed to hear that Jesus loves them, this I know, Amen? There were the Pharisees and the scribes. There were the publicans and the sinners. There were the Lord's disciples. The publicans and sinners, they were the lawless ones, the lawbreakers. Pharisees and scribes already had the law. They would brag about how righteous they were. And the Lord's disciples, they'd already been freed from the law. You see, for most of us in this room today, we're in that third category. We've been freed from the law. What are we doing with that freedom? What are we doing with that freedom? For freedom, your Bible says, we have been set free. There are an awful lot of things that we can do that we can go seek and save that which is lost. You'd be surprised how many crazy conversations you can get into just outside of a grocery store. Maybe up mountain biking, hiking, fishing. I had the privilege of doing a wedding yesterday over at Lake Arrowhead Resort. Now, I will tell you that in a general sense, you're not going to find Pastor Jeff at Lake Arrowhead Resort in that particular group. (laughs) But I had an opportunity to sit down with people that, found myself praying a lot it's like Lord let me be different let me be a light let me be salt don't let me condemn anyone let me be a blessing to them let them see me as someone who loves you and loves them yeah they're tossing back the alcohol like it came out of a tap and the legalists are going I can't believe you were there God called me to be salt and light. He didn't call me to go hide my light under a bushel someplace. As we call call it, preach and dash. Jesus hung out with publicans and sinners. You see, people are like lost sheep, and very often it's completely involuntary that they get lost. They need a shepherd. They need to be saved. I've shared with you before. My aunt had a whole bunch of sheep when we were growing up in Poway. She lived in Ramona, and them sheep were the dumbest animals on earth. They get filled with cockle burrs. They get tangled up in barbed wire fence. They just lay there. They get stuck in mud. They couldn't even get out of the mud. And you know, we'd hear them from like a mile. Just like you guys. It's just like you guys. I'm over here. Come get me. We're all lost. The only difference is we've been found, amen. Why would you not want everybody to experience that? And the shepherd goes looking for him. <laughs> sheep are not strong they're not swift they're dumb as bricks and they wander one sheep gets out of the pasture it's the funniest thing if one gets out the rest of them will sit there in a line and try and cram themse- themselves right through the same hole that the one got out of it's like me next you know and they're like the one's outside it's all the rest of them are like, I got to get out there too. They're standing up on the wall, man. Check it out, you know they're they're looking, they're looking to see what's going on. They poke their heads through the hole. That's people, folks, and we've been called to come and make disciples of all nations. And people got they got problems, and they're stinky and they wander, and they do dumb things, and you've been called, just like our Master, to go out and grab one, put them on your shoulders, and bring them home. Don't forget what you've been called to do. There's a punchline in the story. It's found there in verse 7. And I say to you, likewise, there'll be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than the ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Does God love church? Of course. Of course. Does he love the fact that we're together in his name today? Of course he does. Of course he does. But you see, here's here's the deal. We're all going to heaven. Most of us in here, as I look around this room, I'm pretty convinced that a vast majority, if not all, that are in this room know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You're going to heaven. You take your last breath, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But there's a world out there of the one lost sheep. Please be busy about finding sheep. The second story here, the lost silver. Or what woman, notice how they link together. Sometimes we like to isolate these stories and tell one without the other, which is okay too. But, or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Notice the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit is light, you know? And sweep the house and carefully search until she finds it. There's some effort in it. And when she's found it, she calls to her friends and her neighbors and Brings them together and saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. And likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see how it directly bears on the other story. He's reinforcing it, and he's going to reinforce it again with a third story. You see, people are not only lost the way the sheep is lost by their own stupidity at times, but sometimes by no fault of their own. How many children grow up in our world today a product of their family? They've watched mom and dad go through a horrible divorce. They've been tossed around between homes They've gone in and out of schools. They've been dumped here with Aunt Susie. They've been shipped over there with Grandma and Grandpa. They haven't got a clue what stability looks like. And then we wonder why they end up lost. That coin had no control over where, what crack it rolled into. But it nonetheless was lost. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit searches those cracks and crevices of life, seeking whom he might save? You see, the coin didn't have any control. But I also want you to notice that there was a real sense of loss. That loss was very real to that woman. Maybe it was part of her dowry. We're not actually told why she had this sack of ten coins, I can tell you this. From the verbiage used here, one of those coins would have been nearly a month's worth of labor. They were a, a drachma. A drachma was the equivalent of basically a month's wages. So think about it. There's a year's worth of her living in that bag. And somehow... A big chunk of it gets lost. Any of you have things happen in your life over which you had no control that you can look back on and say, Man, I sure went down a nasty, ragged road because of that one thing. I have. I have. And I blame no one for them. But I can tell you those things influenced me in such a way that it was not good. People have friends sometimes. They're not careful about those choices they make. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in places you thought you'd never go, doing things you thought you'd never do. Amen? People get lost for a variety of reasons, and we need to be open to being the ones who will be used of the Holy Spirit to go and search them out and find them. I think sometimes we give up a lot, lot more easy than, easier than the Lord does. Amen? I know I've been guilty of that in my own life. Maybe you all aren't, but I have. I've looked at people and said, ah, oh, that person's never getting saved. There's just no way. Pearls before swine. Pearls before swine. Pearls before swine. Not going to go after them. They're evil. They're going to hell. Nothing you can do about it. I don't think God gives up that easy. Matter of fact, I know He doesn't give up that easy. Because I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I was a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a prodigal probably a few other things now that I think about it. Matter of fact, I can look back and say, you know what, I was somewhat belligerent, even attempted to get lost at times. And so this woman lights a lamp, represents God's Word, it dispels the darkness. We go out and and share with people. You're not ever going to know on this side of glory how you've touched people's lives. I, I, I think that a vast majority of times, I can tell you, even as a pastor, even as someone who's a preacher, even as someone who's been an evangelist at times, you don't always see the fruit. You're just the messenger. You you put the light out there and let God do what God wants to do with it. And then there can be some rejoicing. This parable concludes with joy. Man, I'm so tired of of joyless Christians. i just got to share that with you. I'm tired of joyless Christians. Because they're not attractive. Nobody wants to be like a bitter, mean-spirited person who, who claims to be righteous. No one's attracted to that. I haven't met a single person. Boy, I hope I can just become dull, boring, rude, mean-spirited, and nasty. Boy, I'd really like to be that. I've seen a lot of joyless Christians. You talk to them, and you would think they're dying and going to hell, not going to heaven. Well, you know, I got this wrong and that wrong, and you know, oh, Satan's after me. You talk to people, and that's all they talk about. Oh, my trials. Family of God, trials are real, and we all have them. But the world's not coming to Jesus because you're bearing up underneath the load. They need to see you joyous and victorious. That's very attractive. Weighted down and burdened, not so much. If the body of Christ can't walk in victory, we're not going to attract too many people to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's why Christians need to have some joy. Some of these crazy things we do, like surf camp and mammoth and fishing trips, that's so we can go be salt and light and be joy and have fun and have smiles on our faces so that people can see, you know, Christians aren't actually all a bunch of nuts. They don't all look like, you know, and I just got to tell you, some of these guys on TV, who would want to be like that? They're not attracting anybody to the Lord. Matter of fact, they're keeping people from Jesus. This woman had joy. We need to have joy. There's a lot to be joyful over. Even if we're going through tough things. Doesn't mean you put on a fake smile and you wander around, you know, kind of (laughs) spazzed out every day. But it does mean that you know what? One day, you're going to take your last breath, and you're going to step out of time and into eternity, and you're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever, wherein there is fullness of joy. Start living some of it now. Amen? Start living some of it now. I'm not saying be an ostrich, stick your head in the sand, and pretend nothing's going on in the world. That'd be crazy. But you have the hope that lies within you. Amen? You're supposed to live differently so people see how you respond to those horrible things and go, man, I wish I could be like that. And now the third bunch of lost things. Verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me a portion of the good that falls to me. And notice this, God lets him have what he asks for. Be careful what you ask for in life. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And this ties into the lost sheep. It ties into the lost coin. You can now see how the first parable was about the Son, the second parable about the Holy Spirit, and now the Father comes plainly into view. And it's this reaction. It's how the Pharisees, in the first story, you've got the publicans and sinners. In the second story, you've got the disciples. And now we come into view with how the the Father just works in the lives of those who are searching for him. Because there's a lot of people who are looking for God, and there are people who are not looking for God. There are people who think they already found him and haven't found him, and there are people who you think haven't found him that have found him, and everything in between. That's why we're not to judge the heart condition of mankind. We can look at fruit and say, you know what, yeah, that's probably not what a Christian should be doing. But God's a a little bigger than our own personal preferences. And so in this parable, Father's going to be mentioned 12 times in the story. The lure of faraway places takes over. And, and as you see these things come into view, you've got the first one's kind of a scandalous guy, yeah? I look at this guy and I go, eh, yeah, yeah, he kind of just got what, got what he had coming to him. Amen? It's okay, you can say amen. He got what he had coming to him. Gimme, gimme. And so he got what he was asking for, and it didn't work out so well. Two sons. And I want you to keep that second son in mind while we talk about the first son, because the second son is really important. Notice that the father here, far from being indignant about all of this, he's not going, well, you rotten, lousy son. Do you see that in there anywhere? You rotten, stinking, lousy son. I mean, how dare you? After the way I've raised you, and look what I've given you in my house, and you have all these things, and you don't even want to stay here. You want to go someplace and live your own life. Do you see that in that passage? Good, because I just made all that up. It's not there. The father's not judging this son who's going to go do something dumb. He's saying, look, the choice is yours. Choose to stay whom you will serve. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That choice must be made by all of us. And you cannot force your children to make good choices. You can only provide the opportunity for them to make good choices and show them the direction that is God's direction. But you need to get out of the way, parents, and let God be God. You cram your kids too tightly into a box, I guarantee you, you will get rebellion. Guarantee it. Basically, he approaches his father and says, Hey, Dad, why don't we just pretend you're dead? Why don't you give me what's coming to me? There's some kids that kind of push the envelope a little bit that way, amen? I know it's true. Because I've talked to some of you about the things that you've gone through with your children, and it hurts. It's painful. I want you to see some things in this story. <laughs> if you look at this long-distance travel plan this son has, he, he basically says, Father, give me what's mine. Verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, where he wasted his possessions with prodigal living disillusioned by what was at home, he takes off into the world with more money than probably a teenager should have. At this time, this young man was probably less than 20. And he takes off for the bright lights in the big city, for the lure of the party lifestyle, for all the things that the world has to offer. And this could well be a woman. It doesn't have to be a man. It's just that simple story. Of how the world is attractive, but it's also deadly. And God, the Father in this story, does not stop the Son. He could have. He could have said, you realize how simple this story would have been, and the Father said no. <laughs> not no, but no. Ain't happening, not on my watch. You get right back over there in that box, you're staying home. I believe it would have produced a worse result. In case you hadn't noticed, sinners sin. People do dumb things. They outright do exactly what they shouldn't do. In this young man's case, where was he headed? We're not actually told. The far country could have been Corinth. That's not a good place for a kid to go. Could have been Carthage. Not a great place for a kid. Could have been Crete. Any of the sea places. Not good places. Could have hopped a boat for the bright lights of Rome. Hopped in his car. I'm going to go to work in Vegas. Want to live the party lifestyle. And he wasted his substance on riotous living. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those things are attractive to our flesh, amen? Always have been. Isn't it strange, those of us who are a little older, how we now condemn things that we once ourselves used to do? And we're really legalistic about it. Oh, don't know how you do that. I mean, I think back on how I was as a kid. I am so thankful that my sons have never experienced that kind of lifestyle. But I didn't make them do it. I just said, look, you can learn from me a little bit. Bad road. You probably don't want to go down that one. You gotta be careful, because sometimes the very grace that you have received and the mercy that you have received, we have a tendency to sometimes deny to others. Our own kids at times. God's at work. Verse 14 goes on to say, And when he had spent all that he had, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to want. And so, and this is the way it goes, you sell yourself to the world. You take a job someplace that you would have never taken a job. You end up working somewhere or being you know, in in some relationship with somebody. You've got some stuff going on in your life that you never envisioned you would ever do, and yet that's exactly where you find yourself. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, this young man was a Jew, so feeding swine was something that Jews did not uh, particularly care for. They gave it to the Gentiles to do. They were an unclean animal. Doing an unclean job. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods the swine had eaten. Let's you know that's pig poop. That's actually what it says. Not a good thing. No one gave him anything. You see, the, the lure of those faraway horizons eventually fades. And most of us in this room have probably had, if you've lived very long on this earth, had those times when the world seemed very attractive. Well, I can't wait until I get to do that. You know, being, being a child of the 50s, it, we don't think about it now almost half of the population of the united states smoked in the 50s we now know that it kills people and it's down to like 15 16% now but i remember thinking man you're a real adult if you smoke and so i know this will shock some of you but i i remember going to those ashtrays and, and there'd be like you know a quarter of an inch of cigarette left on there and us kids we'd take those and we'd go out behind them <laughs> you know <laughs> Cough our brains out. It's like, I, I thought that was being an adult. I mean, who didn't want to be the Marlboro man? I mean, after all, there's hair would grow in your chest, all kinds of great things would happen to you. You see, the, the attractions of the world can be very, very strong. I remember my parents going to Mexico because you could go down and bring back all kinds of alcohol. And they would come back and they'd have their whole trunk and they packaged it in really cool bottles, looked like bears and you know they'd, they'd open the trunk and there it was and go, wow, that must be awesome. you know I mean, my parents do that. The attraction of the faraway country had drawn this young man. And now he found himself in a place he really didn't want to be. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my, father's, of my father's hired servants have enough bread to spare, and I perish with hunger? He's starting to remember back, you know, I kind of had it pretty good. Isn't it funny how sometimes in life you, you come back around and you go, Man, if I had just realized what my parents knew. When you're young, you think you know everything, and then when you get older, you know you don't know a thing. And then after that, you forget what you did know. It's the way it works. And the Lord speaks to us and says, You know what? I still love you. And I will arise and go to my Father, and I'll say to Him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before You. I am no longer worthy to be called Your Son. Make me like one of Your higher servants. You talk about repentance. You talk about repentance. He says, Man, I've blown it. And that's the story here in these lost things. It's coming to the understanding, man, I'm lost. I need to get back to where I need to be. I'll I'll go to my father. You you see, he's really saying, look, I'm waiting. I, I want you. I desire you. God's always swift to forgive when we think about our father's house. Do the right thing. I'll go to my father. You can imagine him talking to his new boss, right? Hey, mister, <laughs> I'm giving up pig slopping. And you can almost hear him with some disdain, the guy responding to him. It's like, ah oh, man, what's good? You know, you're worth nothing. You better just keep this job. It's the only job you're ever going to get. Isn't that the lies of Satan, that Satan brings to us? You're worth nothing. You might as well just stay here and lay down in this filth because that's all you deserve. The enemy condemns and God is saying, look, just come back. I'll take you just the way you I don't care that you're covered with pig muck. I don't care. If you're willing to get cleaned up, I'll do the work. You can almost imagine him sitting down on the side of the road on the way back with his face in his hands going, God, look at me how did I ever get here? I had that experience. Had that experience. I sat there with a gun pressed up against my temple for I don't even know how long. God, look at me. How could it be that I ever got here? I heard the same voice that the Father brings into view here. Just come home. So still love you. And he arose, verse 20 says, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off. I love that. When he was still a great way off. And in other words, he hadn't repented yet. He hadn't done anything as far as the father was concerned. He's a great way. He's way out there. And the father's up in the watchtower looking. It's my son. He's stoked before he ever gets there. That's because God loves us with an undying love. He always has, always will. Even when we're messed up. And his father saw him and had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck. That's another way of saying he grabbed him and gave him a bear hug and he's just kissing him. And, and the original language there says he just kissed him endlessly. Just kiss after kiss after kiss. I'm so glad you're home. That's God. It's his heart towards you. And the son said to him, in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven, in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called his son. But the father said to his servants, Notice how there's not even any inkling that the father even really heard those words. It's as if the son said them, the father almost didn't hear them. They went in one ear, yep, good, right out the other side. 2, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand, the sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son which was dead is alive again. That which was lost is found. And they began to make merry. Hallelujah. Amen. You see yourself in that picture? I see myself. There was a time in my life when I was not walking with the Lord. And I'm glad God was looking from that watchtower and said, Man, He's home. A robe, the best robe, a ring, shoes, throws a feast. And I love this. He who was dead is now alive. And then finally, there's one more son. And I want to just close with a with a handful of comments on this last son. And now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house when he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come home because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. Here's what religion does. Here's what self-righteousness does. Here's what holding up your own personal righteousness over the grace of God can do. And of course, this applies mostly to the Jewish people because that's who was in view here. But it's to all of us who, who bear that, that spark of legalism in us, that judgmental spirit that says, you know what, I, I would never do something like that. But he was angry, and he would not. He couldn't even rejoice that his brother was home. Do you see that? That's what legalism does. Well, I've been over here toiling underneath the the pain of suffering and sorrow, following hard after the father. I've been working my spiritual tail to the bone. I'm not going to the party. He got to go do what he wants. You ever notice how people sometimes are jealous of people who've been out in the world and they actually get saved and they love Jesus? It's the craziest thing. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Remember, the father is the father in this story. And the father pleads with us. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I mean, I've been going to church 18 times a week for 20 years. And this dude's been living like literally hell. And you love him? You love her? I mean, do you see the tats on him? Can you believe the way he used to live? And couldn't rejoice. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. You see the legalism? You see the self-righteousness there? I've been holy. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. You never did anything like that for me. Whiners and grumblers against the goodness of God are an abomination to the Lord, folks. We need to be careful not to be so heavenly-minded about our own righteous living that we forget that God rejoices over broken people and that He's looking for them to come home. And we need to rejoice with Father God when it happens. They might still have a little bit of muck on them from the pig pen. And I, I tell you, in shame of my own self, let me just personalize it for you. I can remember having these thoughts. I can remember looking at people, I don't even know why you'd want to save them, God. I mean, after all, look at the way they live. You know what solves it? Look inward instead of outward. Look at yourself. Check out your own heart and go, man, what business have I been in the kingdom of God? You see, this elder brother had a huge problem, and it's called self-righteousness. And I want to speak really kindly, very concisely, and very quickly. We can do this in all kinds of ways, folks. I've had to pick up the pieces of some of the things that have been said in this church when somebody's demeaned because they own a TV. Well, we don't have TV in our house. You have TV? You must be going to hell. I've had to pick up the pieces from the families. You all know our story. We have homeschooled. We have gone to private school. We have gone to public school. I've had to pick up the pieces of the broken lives of the people who have their kids in public school and somebody who homeschools says, well, you might as well just kill them. That is a direct quote from what I was told by somebody in this church. That's self-righteousness, folks. And it has no place in the body of Christ. Homeschooling's good. Private school, good. Public school, also good. We need some of our saved kids in public schools. Amen? And I'm not picking on anybody for any reason right now. I'm just simply telling you, this is how easy this can happen. So please receive it in that way. I've had people, well, you know, you you use the New King James. How come you don't use the King James? I keep expecting them to use an Oxford English accent when they say that to me. You know, well, my former church, we use the King James only Bible. We need to be really careful about what we pick and choose as our area of self-righteousness. Notice what is said here. But as soon as the son of yours came, who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fat of the calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all I have is yours. No differentiation between the two sons. That's grace. That's what grace does. It's unmerited favor. It doesn't pick out the person who doesn't have TV or the person who chooses wonderfully to homeschool. It doesn't pick out the person who's never had a drink. It doesn't pick out the person who's never put a cigarette in their mouth and say, well, you're a little more righteous than everybody else. Grace covers it all, folks. All of it. Your stuff, my stuff, our stuff. And it was right. Notice this that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found hallelujah you see he wasn't sitting there going well you know actually you're really better because you've never given me any trouble what he's saying was without my grace you'd be lost too But with my grace, it's going to be okay, because there isn't going to be any difference in heaven. I love you both. Now, of course, Israel's rejected the Messiah. And the Pharisees were probably sitting there going, look, how can you bring these Gentiles in? The family lets us not be guilty of those same things. We need to seek and save that which is lost and rejoice when it happens amen let's pray father thank you for the attentiveness of your people lord thank you for your word which is truth brings life lord thank you that we've been saved by grace lord thank you that we believe by faith thank you that there is no differentiation between Jew and Gentile you're not a respecter of persons You love each of us with an undying love that Jesus went to the cross for the most wretched and for the most righteous. God, thank you that that's the truth. God, no matter where we fall on the spectrum of capacity to sin, it takes the same grace to save each of us. And the same heaven awaits all of us. God, thank you for that. Lord, help us to remember that that we have a task to do while we're on this earth, and that's to go out as as an under-shepherd. That's to go out as a coin-searcher. That's to go out uh, as one who delights when a sinner comes home, to seek and save that which is lost, just as you did. And so, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. Help us, Lord, with our own little prejudices our own little sillinesses, these things that we hold in our hearts that sometimes can get in the way of you using us for your glory. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.